You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to this segment of the Apple Insider Podcast. Joining me is Tristan Deshaun, as author and punisher. Tristan, you're here at MoFest and you're going to perform later on. And I, I know before we started recording, I was asking you to talk a little bit about what you're doing with your music and with technology. Can you sort of give me a primer? Help me introduce me to it. I mean, I essentially sound like a band, but I'm one person. You know, there's a lot of producers out there that perform as one person, DJs, these drum machines, electronics. I basically do that. But what I do differently is um, my instruments that I they play on um, aren't buttons and knobs. They're much larger and they have... So they slide, they're very physical. So I interact with synthesizers, computer synths, you know, drum machines with the custom, very physical controllers that I designed and fabricated myself. I play heavy music, like heavy as in like doom metal, dark industrial stuff. So my instruments tend to be, you know, uh, kind of the aesthetic of that sensibility or they feel like that. They're, they're, they have weight to them. Uh, they use bearings and, and very industrial components that I use at my day job, which is an engineer, uh, work on microscopy and robotics um, and different uh, mechanical design therein. So that's kind of, I've applied all those techniques and maybe some sculpture and art as well to making my live setup more interesting for me and meaningful to play. I can feel the music. Um, and I think other people like that as well, that it's not just the guy standing behind a laptop. There's something visceral about pulling something that's got a lever or pushing yeah. something that's got weight to it. Yeah. And it's, like you say, also more visually captivating. Yeah. I think people people have responded to it. You know, you can take this in a different direction. You could, you could, you could use it as a gimmick. You could... Um, uh, you know, people do all sorts of stuff to get attention on stage. And this was really came from, although I, I don't have a problem with getting some attention from it, this was really a, an effort to make the experience for me and make the music better. You know, for me, if I'm playing along with a sequence that's just a bunch of stuff pre-recorded that I play along with, you'll be able to tell in the audience that that's what you're listening to. If you have to physically push on something that's got some, some mass to it, it changes the way you perform. Yeah, and there's imperfections in my play. There's pitch. I'm doing pitch bends that uh, you never do perfectly. You know, it's all microtonal off. The, uh, I don't know if microtonal is the right word, but slightly uh, dissonant, you know. And you hear that. And uh, and then I can sequence a little bit along with me to add to that, but, you know, very small amount. So behind the 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 weights and the interface that you've, you've milled and CNC'd and machined, um, what is that controlling? Basically, each device uh, it has a microcontroller in it. You know, so this is just much like a, a drone or, or like a robot that you buy, like a toy. You know, you've got a little microcontroller in there. You've got encoders, potentiometers, electronic components that take the motion, encode it into the, the chip. I use an Arduino. You can use a Raspberry, Raspberry Pi or, or whatever. There's a lot of them out there. Then that processes it and sends off MIDI data that I can plug in USB or MIDI cable to any synth, hardware synth, or to a computer, and then control a software synth. That's it. Um, there's no sound that come out of each of the devices themselves. 
<clears throat> but you know, much like a, every synth has uh, a knob and a button on it. All I'm doing is I'm an extension of that. You know, that's essentially what I've done. And I love that a lot of these synth companies now make tabletop synths that don't have the keys on them. Because a lot of times that's just extra weight that I can't take on tour with me. Hmm. So it's, it, the tabletops and synths are the best. The smaller, the better that I can just put in a little tray and then, you know, actually just run it out from Ableton, the software that I use. Just run the signals out. So I just use the software as my input for all my signals, my playing, my drums, my drums, my synths, and then run them out to these hardware synths. And then the hardware synths shoot the audio to the front of house, which is nice because you don't, um, you don't get that kind of computer processing that sometimes can sound a little compressed or, Although the cards have gotten a lot better, I think the gap is narrowing there. Right. Yeah. I, the, the gap is, is one of those things where you, we have this joke in the computers that says, you know, next year is the year of Linux on the desktop. We've been saying that for 20 years. Yeah. And it, it's for as long as I've been fooling around with since it's been, you know, next year is the year that the sampling gets right, that we can sound like the analog synths. It's a battle that I think everybody has, and there's so many purists out there. And, and I, you know, I hear a lot of people tell me, like, Oh, these are just controllers, you know. Like, oh, they're just controllers, and that's like, yeah, they're just controllers. You know, it's basically, you know, you what do you use to control your synth? You use a keyboard. That's a controller. You need some way to meaningfully interact with your synth. A synth is just a sound source, and I feel like that's probably the least artistic part of the process. You know, okay, you can come up with a sound, but I take a synth, no matter what synth I have, I make the same sound. It's like, I know what my sound is. I'm like, if you put me first, like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, it's like this sawtooth with some gain on it. And it's got a, like, a lot of bass. Like, I don't know how to make any other tone. So for me, it's like that, that artistry has been done 10 years ago. Now I'm like, what's my interaction with it going to be? And I think that's missing a lot from, uh, from the, the electronic music world. Turntables are awesome. I think that's probably one of the best electronic instruments, you know, that's been around in the last ever, you know, the keyboard, sure. But the turntable is unique. There are people using those as, uh, as controllers now, you know, put yeah. instead of, um, instead of scratching a needle on vinyl, they're using lasers to read the peaks and valleys of the, the groove in the record. I love that. And turning that into the instrument. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, uh, I mean, they're basically just, I guess you, I guess you haven't, you could put an encoder on it, but you could also, uh, you could read the grooves. You could, what else could you do with a turntable? You could uh, do pressure sense. Yeah, pressure sensitive, tip tilt. There's a lot you could do too. Yeah, yeah put an accelerometer on there. <laughs> I don't know. There's sometimes some of those sensors that get a little bit into the like pressure sensors and force sensors and accelerometers. Those things tend to be like they're almost like microphones, like a little too hard to control for me in a live setting. And in co even a potentiometer is just they're just like outdated. Um, encoders in my mind you know? yes <laughs> they just get scratchy it's like i don't want to I, I want everything to be it's a carbon-based rotary encoder that's going to fail and then i was like well i don't want it to be continuous well then put a hard stop or put a you know yeah um it's funny how these these things uh change over time so how should people sort of enter into your music what's what's the new listener path yeah there definitely was a an old listener path and a new listener path i would say i've gotten a, i've my patience has, has gotten a lot shorter. I don't, I can't deal with my 12 minute drawn out sessions anymore. Um, so I don't do that anymore. I, I say my songs are like 
are uh, succinct. I try to get to the point quicker. Um, for me, you know, it's not just for the listener. It's just, you know, I, I, I when I listen to my own music, sometimes I'm like, Jesus, why are people, you know, and, you know, it's too, too, too long, took too much um, of your day. Uh, so I would say they're like quick to the point, a lot of rhythmic um, samples. I've been doing a lot of processing with, with some like, you know, Octatrack um, and sampling and chopping things up and then putting those as my kind of like metronome, like some weird um, clanging industrial sounds, you know? So that's, I would say that's, you know, mixed that mixed with kind of the sensibility of the low end that you get in doom metal, if you like doom metal and uh, the dark, low bassy tones. That, that sort of low wobble kind of sound. Yeah, the low wobble with some distortion. Try to keep the tones less layered, keep it more singular. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's if that's a good introduction for people, but I would say I've gone I've gone a little bit more in the industrial realm lately than the droney realm. So you mentioned travel, and and travel is one of the problems that musicians have had for a hundred years. But you know, especially with synthesizers like the early Buchla that was meant to be packed up as a suitcase, yeah, so you could put it on plane kind of thing, and of course it would arrive in pieces. <laughs> but what's what's your travel kit like when you're on tour? What do you, what do you take with you? I would say I think about this more than I think about a song that I'm writing, to tell you the truth. <laughs> you know, if I'm at my job and like a, a lunch break, I'll sit there for an hour and research cases. And I'll take the CAD model of the thing I designed because I know the materials and I can weigh it just in SolidWorks and the CAD software. So I'll know how much it weighs. Okay, you know, I have to change the design a little bit so that you've got 62 linear inches for a, fifth for a normal flight checked baggage and you've got 50 pounds unless you want to start getting into overweight fees. But I wouldn't recommend that because when you're in Europe and you're trying to do these really cheap airlines that take you from place to place, you're going to get screwed if you're under 50 pounds. And some of those you're screwed anyway, because yeah. yeah. So anyway, 50 pounds, 62 linear inches, um, that's the design criteria. And if you want to take three bags, it's like my whole entire setup has to be three, three cases. So Pelican Air, because they've come up with a new plastic that they build their cases out of. So now they're much, much lighter. So, you know, I figure $250 for a new case, that's one overweight fee for your fourth bag for like United Airlines to go to Europe. So anyway, it's worth spending the money, buying the case, uh, using foam that's, you know, custom cut, die cut, so your thing fits in there perfectly. Um, that's, that's technology right there for you. You can take your CAD model and then give yourself an eighth of an inch around it and cut that out, and then your thing fits right into your, into your foam in your case. So, yeah, that, for the book, they probably would like to have had that kind of technology. Absolutely. But that's totally it. Rack-mountable. Okay, and then there's like, okay, if you've got something that is basically like a lathe that vibrates a lot, like when I'm slamming my drum machine, okay, what kind of table are you going to put that on? Most venues do not have a table that's strong enough. So when you're slamming this thing, it's not going to slide across the floor. So that's another like technology, extreme frustration of mine that I have to deal with on tour. Um, anyway. It's something you put in a rider for the venue. Then you put in a rider, but how do you describe something? This table needs to not rock or slide. And then they're like, oh yeah, this one's fine. And it's not. It's never, it's never. And I found the exact company. Now I got a sponsorship from the company that makes this one table in Europe. <laughs> That makes DJ tables that they're actually stage element components. So I'm actually in this tour, I'm going to pick up one. Like they're too expensive. I can only afford one, but I get discount, you know. So. But the one right table. One table. And then I'd eventually like to have three of them, but 
But then it's like, that's just for driving. If you're going to fly into somewhere, then you got to have them have you a table. They found a butcher table in Moogfest. So it's actually kind of sticky. I don't know what was on there. It's like a big it's a little scary. Like cast iron legs. And um, you'll see it tonight if you come to the show. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, recommend something for our listeners to listen to. What should we check out? Oh, man. I would say I'll take you in two directions. I mean, the heavier stuff that I think is that I really like that maybe has a slightly later sensibility would be Chelsea Wolf, who I, who I really, really like her music and her band music. And uh, it's it's heavier. Um, I don't know. Some people really love her stuff because she's got kind of a goth you know, aesthetic, but I think her music is just beautiful and heavy, but without being like abrasive. And then the other one would be, uh, you know, anything on the modern love label, like Andy Stott, um, which is which is in the other is a little bit more on the kind of the techno side of things, but very dark and has that kind of industrial, um, loose aesthetic to it. You know, this, sometimes the industrial stuff if it's too tight and it's too obvious that it was 100% programmed on 16 beat, you know, drum machines all sync together. You're like immediately you can tell and you're like, oh, this isn't. I, I'm not into this. You know, it's too tight. It's it's so precise. That so precise. Nobody put the actual time. It's inorganic, right? It's inorganic, and, and the really good techno now. I feel is like, whoa! How did they get that sound? What they do with the rhythm? It's slightly off. It's like these. If you're not a, if you're not a seasoned listener, I think some of that stuff you might miss the the, the small changes. And I'm hoping to see some uh, some people this weekend who are doing some of that work as well. Cool. Well, um, tell us where we should listen to your stuff. For my for Awesome Pressure, I got a new album coming out in uh, in October on Relapse Records. First record I've done with them. Just finished it um, a couple weeks ago, so I'm pretty excited for that. But so you look for that in October. But also, uh, I think the best place is Bandcamp because I own a lot of the rights to my music there, and I get the <laughs> if you buy it, I get the money for it. it doesn't go to the label. Um, so yeah, authorandpunisher.bandcamp.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tristan. All right. Thank you. Welcome to this segment of the Apple Insider Podcast. Joining me is Joe Cuzzy of Eventide. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here with you. So, Joe, tell me about Eventide, because I'm, I'm most familiar with Eventide from 1980s, 1990s guitar magazines and seeing guitar effects and effects processing. Yes. It's, it's, it's since evolved into plug-in products and pedal products. But of course, our history goes all the way back to our original harmonizers that came out in the mid 70s and then ultra harmonizer, which came out in the late 80s. And, uh, you know, recently uh, we released our new H9000, which is the next generation processor capable of 16 simultaneous algorithms. So, yeah, I mean, we, we run the gamut of, of, um, of processing, whether it's software or hardware. And. This is because this is the Apple Insider podcast. I have to ask, how have things like iOS and the idea of mobile as a platform played into what Eventide is doing? Well, for one thing, it's made it much easier for musicians to edit their sounds, to store their sounds. Uh, we interface our H9 control app with iOS uh, and our H9 Max pedal to allow musicians to uh, access any one of 49 different algorithms or effects, if you will, and uh, store an unlimited amount of those presets so that uh, it makes it super easy to find all the all your favorite sounds. And without iOS, none of that would really be possible unless you, know, you 
use a computer, which it will work with. <laughs> it's a question of mobility. That's the best thing. How are musicians taking advantage of the, the H9 and iOS? Are, are they pro musicians? Are they amateurs and home hobbyists or, or home players? How do people do this and what do they do with it? Well, it's all of the above, really. Uh, this H9 Max product is essentially a studio rack mount processor in a Stompbox format. And the iOS makes it, gives it the ability of being extra mobile. So whether you're at, at home in your studio or live or, or you're a live sound engineer that has the processor in the rack, having the mobile app makes it super easy to navigate uh, all the effects that are available to you. 49 of them to be precise. So with the app, you're able to edit all 10 parameters on the fly and store an unlimited amount of your favorite sounds and, and call up or rather recall all your favorite uh, processes instantaneously, uh, remotely, most importantly. Uh, but again, everybody uses it differently, um, whether you're a worship musician or a studio engineer or a sound designer, we run the gamut, really. So instead of the old days where you'd have uh, a pedal board with all of your effects and knobs set to things and little pieces of masking tape to mark where the knobs are set, you know what I'm talking about, right? I do. That's why I'm smiling. <laughs> you know, you, you can go ahead and create patches or, or programs for each different effect sound. Absolutely. I mean, and, and just create a library that says, this is this song, and then next in my set list, and next in my set list, just switch between all of these parameters? Yeah. You know, I, when I demo the product, I show musicians how they can create these preset lists on the iOS app. Uh, so maybe you're doing a 30-minute set or an hour set, or you have the sounds that you're using on your recording. Instantaneously, you can recall everything, not have to worry about those little pieces of tape or marking your pedals to remember your settings and how it was on the record or or for your live performance, everything it's instant, instantly recallable, and and I think that's what makes it fun. You know that that type of automation. What what should my listeners know about Eventide and and you know your your plans for iOS? Well, uh, right now our future plans involve uh, the ability to use it with our latest product, which is the H nine thousand. Forthcoming, our emote software. Uh, we're, we're trying to make it compatible. That's really the most exciting thing uh, on the horizon. But right now, it's it's just the freedom that it affords you with all of our pedal products, not just our H9 product, but any one of our Factor Series pedals can be used along with the iOS app, which is H9 Control, and you can find it for free on the App Store. And is it, uh, for, forgive me for asking, but is there a way to use the H9 app without the hardware just to sort of get a feel for what it can do? That's a great question. And actually, the answer is yes. You can download the app for free. And when you open it up and go to the store window on the bottom, you can pretty much audition dry and wet examples of all 49 effects, even before you buy or own the pedal, to get an idea if it's something that's going to work for you or to get an idea if you want to purchase any one of the effects individually. That's, that's something that you can do uh, just by simply owning the app without necessarily owning the pedal. So it's, it's possible for uh, the sort of home hobbyist or the bedroom player to go ahead and get the app and buy a couple of effects and start out like this. Well, don't, I, I wanna I'm make sure you too are, far, aren't I? Yeah, a, a little bit. Yeah. While you can make purchases and, and whatnot, the, the most benefit you're gonna get is just listening to this pre-recorded dry and wet examples, but there's no, 
audio running through the app. So it's not like it's generating sound itself. Rather, it's more of a, a controller for the hardware device. Uh, so that, that I guess, is one of the limitations of our app at the moment. But again, um, we want to make it clear that all the audio is being handled by the pedal. The app is just an exceptional controller. Right. Okay. I understand. That's very cool. Well, I, I hope if you're a guitar player or a musician or a sound designer that you get a chance to download the application Absolutely. and uh, listen to the samples. One of the coolest things about the app, especially for synth players, since we're at MoFest, is the fact that you have an XY pad controller, which means you can assign two parameters on X and Y axis and then control them with your finger, uh, like, uh, like a famous uh, chaos pad style control, you know? And you have things like gyroscopic control or rubber band control where you can move your finger away. And as soon as you take your finger off the, uh, the, the, the display, it'll go back to the original it position. Snaps of, back. Yeah, so those are the things that are only available on the iOS app uh, and it makes it fun to use. And it's because we've got that accelerometer and because you've got the, the touch screen. And Super cool. You know... Before we started recording, I, I'm sorry, I just want to get this in here. You were telling me about some of the famous artists that have used Eventide products and some of the records that we've heard these, these older samples on. Can you name some of the, the uh, you know, these sort of influential artists from the past and, and maybe some of the artists who are using it today? Well, it all, you know, history goes all the way back to John Anderson of Yes, one of the earliest adopters of uh, the H910 Harmonizer. Then you have producer Tony Visconti and David Bowie and, and you know, the work they did on his records. In fact... Uh, a lot of the early processing was actually not on guitars or, or vocals. It was on drums, believe it or not. Even ACDC's Back in Black, our original H910 harmonizer, was used to reinforce that snare sound. Um, and then you got guys like Jimmy Page. It was the only digital rack mount processor that he allowed in his rig. And of course, uh, Eddie Van Halen's early tone was H949 harmonizer, right? And man, if I, if I were to name off all the artists, we'd be here for, for days. <laughs> But yeah, we have a really rich history, a lot of which you can read on our website. So I encourage everybody to check it out. And, and um, more importantly, check out our new stuff, all the stuff that works with iOS. Where should people go to find out more? EventideAudio.com. You'll find all of our products, whether it's rack mount processors, our plugins. Uh, you can, you'll even have a place to download the app directly from our website. And you'll be able to check out videos and read the latest news. You can also sign up for our newsletter. But yeah, that, that'd be the best place to go. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Joe Kazi from Eventide. It's been my pleasure. The Apple Insider Podcast is brought to you by Udemy, the largest marketplace for online learning. Whether you want to learn something new or just sharpen your skills, Udemy has an extensive library of over 65,000 courses taught by expert instructors. Ever find yourself thinking, I wish I could do that? With Udemy, you can. From web development to digital marketing to Japanese cooking courses, Udemy has something for everyone. While other online learning companies charge hundreds of dollars per class, Udemy courses start at just $11.99. Plus, each course comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee for risk-free learning. Every day, students around the world choose Udemy to discover new passions, expand their skills, and even change careers. Improve your life through learning. Download the Udemy app to learn anytime, anywhere, or visit www ude.my slash Apple Insider. That's www.ude.my slash Apple Insider. My name is Tobias. I'm with Teenage Engineering. And we're a, a company based in Stockholm, Sweden. And we make consumer electronics 
music devices mostly. We do some speakers as well. We do some other design projects, but uh, mostly synthesizers and sequencers and stuff. Okay, so I have to ask, even though I, I know we're at the Moogfest show and it makes sense that everything should be, but why synthesizers? Well, we're uh, music music people, music lovers, all of us, more or less. So uh, 10 years ago, we uh, the, the people on the company at that point decided they wanted to make a, a synthesizer that could basically do everything. And uh, three years of development, behold, OP1, uh, the first product that we made, which is basically an all-in-one synthesizer music station, uh, uh, just a uh, all-in-one piece. What's, what's all-in-one mean? It's got well, keys for controlling, yeah, it's got so, uh, some sounds in it. Exactly, it's a, it's a four-track tape recorder at its heart with a keyboard with sampling capabilities, with a built-in FM radio, with built-in accelerometer, um, with a very intuitive and speedy flow of, to allow you to make music on the go. It's battery powered, it's portable, so you can take it anywhere. You can have it on the plane and make music and then go back to your studio, basically. So it was, it was something that we wanted to do ourselves and at first, people liked it, and but was kind of skeptical because there was not nothing like it. Uh, maybe old Casio keyboards because it looked kind of cute, looks uh, like a toy, and we heard that a lot, and we used that as a compliment. Right, it's it's white, it's twenty four keys more or less. Yes. It's, uh, so it's in that sort of Casio tone kind of yes, family. Exactly. Of size, and. Uh, a toy is something you have fun with and it should be fun to make music. So we try to yeah, make it more into a, a gaming uh, experience than an actual or a, a serious music making experience. So we try to um, not focus too much on, on, on parameters more than uh, or more focus on the sound and just the experience of playing. So what did you develop after that? What did, what did Teenager Engineering work on next? So uh, OP1 is, is very capable. It can do a lot of things, but it also comes at a price. And we don't want to exclude people uh, based on economy. So we wanted to make something more accessible to be able to reach a wider audience. So we developed the pocket operators, which are small battery-powered handheld calculator-looking sequencer devices. Drum machines, bass synthesizer, lead synthesizer, um, different, different functionality. We now have nine different ones, and they, they all look kind of similar, but they have uh, different functionality. So the, the third and latest generation of these devices have a built-in microphone, that allow you to sample on the go. Uh, and they're at from 49 to 89 US dollars. So it's, they're very affordable and kind of like gateway synthesizers. We want everybody to be able to make electronic music and get into synthesizing. So uh, this is what came after the open one.
and they're they're very bare bones, right? They're they're basically a printed circuit board with a display and a bunch of tax switches and a couple of rotary encoders and two AAA batteries. Exactly. We wanted to make it uh, as low cost as possible without compromising quality. So we we tried to not do too much fancy design, just the bare PCB, like you said. And there is a case that there is an official case that you can buy, but that cost a bit, so that's optional. Instead, we released the CAD drawing so people could make their own cases, like 3D print stuff or just uh, create whatever case they wanted. And that was appreciated, and um, they've been very successful as well. And I love how somebody who's never made music maybe can pick this up and in a few minutes they get it they wow i i push this button and i make music and i i create instead of just passively listen uh, i'm, I'm turning to an active creator uh, it's a beautiful thing and that could be like a, a five minute uh, fun experience or it could be the start of a lifelong career it's it's truly truly great to be able to bring that to the world. So talk to me about the thing that you were showing me earlier. It's the the OPZ. Correct. So this is kind of the mid mid range product that we have. Um, it's a sixteen track sequencer that can do audio sequencing, control sequencing, um, DMX, which is MIDI for lights, basically. So you can sequence the club lights and then also it does photo and video sequencing as well as MIDI. So it's, it's, I'm a sequencer guy at heart, so I love this. Again, it's portable, it's battery powered, it's small size, you can really take it anywhere. And the fact that we did not build, build in a display, uh, but rely on the beautiful display that many people have in their pockets already um, their ios device it's made us it made it possible for us to cut some cost and, and uh, uh, focus on other other parts so when this is paired with an ios device what does it help the user do you can absolutely use the use the device in standalone mode just as it is to make music if you want visual feedback and visual um, control, then you have the iOS app. That will give you an overview of all the parameters that you can uh, control. And also, if you want to sequence the DMX or the photos and video, you need the iOS app. But to just make music, it's a self-contained unit. You don't need an, anything extra. Um, Although it's very handy to have, and it's beautiful for us because so many people have this already. And it's also future-proofing the hardware a bit because um, when you upgrade your phone, you get a new display for your synthesizer. Can you take me through a little bit how people use it to create the, the photo sequence or the video sequence? Well, currently this is in beta stage, so uh, it's not publicly available yet. But in theory, uh, the, the, the photos, for instance, so the photos can be uh, 
taken in real time at the show and you can photograph the audience and have that manipulated in, in time with your music, adding a, a sense of presence to the show. And then um, the video aspect is, is uh, using Unity, the game engine that allow you to create uh, any kind of any kind of graphics, basically text or 2D or 3D graphics, then upload that to the device and have those 3D worlds be uh, animated and controlled and sequenced in time with the music, all from this little device. That's a very, a very large amount of power for such a small device. And the thing that makes it possible is the iOS device that so the, the video sequencing and the, the, the photo aspect is done in the phone or the iPad. You, you said this was the mid-range device. So what, what is the cost for this? Yeah, this is 599 US. The pocket operators are 49 to 89. And the OP1 is, I believe, 849 or almost 900. This is, econo the, in, ter in, in terms of money, is kind of the mid-range. But in terms of functionality, it depends on what you, what you want. It's very capable, so it can do a lot of things that the OP1 can cannot, for instance, and also it lacks in some functionality that the OP1 has. You know, in terms of lighting control, I think back to, to running theaters in the past and, and clubs and how much you had to have a huge light board and spend all this time getting everything set up. And here you're, you're doing this with something that is uh, basically one quarter the size of an iPad or so right. It's really tiny. Yeah, right. I mean, it's nothing new in terms of what you can do, but just the new thing is the tiny format. You've had, you could do all these sequencing stuff before. I'm, I'm not a DMX guy yet, but I'm hoping to get into it. And now it is so much more accessible. Yeah. So what's your favorite feature of this device? So I'm a sequencer kind of guy, and I love to to have full control over my music and when i press play i know it's going to be exactly the same and then i can go per step and really do fine control and um in addition to that i can have my 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 music programmed but i can also do live uh edits and live effects and just jam on this very effectively um so the, the audio aspects is, for me, the number one um, feature that I love. I'm also able to control it externally using other MIDI devices. So I have uh, levels and, uh, or sliders and knobs to control the, the, the uh, most effective parameters when I play live. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to getting into Unity and, and make my own graphics and also the, the photo sequencing part. So, uh, and the DMX, hey, it's, I think it's, uh, I love playing live. And I think this is a really interesting tool for somebody who's, um, who wants to make the most of their live show. Uh, because it's such a great opportunity when you're in front of an audience to influence them, not only with audio, but also with uh, the lights and the visual aspect of the show. So. I think it's uh, it's a very interesting piece. So where can people find out more about Teenage Engineering products? So the best way would be to go to our website, which is 
teenage.engineering. Uh, if we do have the teenageengineering.com as well, but teenage.engineering is our URL. Uh, we have an Instagram account, we have a Facebook account, so uh, we'll post stuff there. Uh, we have a newsletter, um, and we sometimes get interviewed by other uh, outlets, So, um, but our own site is where we put out the most. We don't, we don't really advertise that much, or we haven't in the past. We never really paid for any advertising, so um, word of mouth is very... Uh, it's a very strong channel for us. It's it's all about synthesizer and sequencer fans who spread the word. Yes, it? very much so. Cool. Can I ask you about the speaker products that you've made? Oh, sure. So we did do some speakers in the past. Uh, the OD11s, which are based on a speaker from the 60s uh, in Sweden by Stig Karlsson, uh, who made a speaker that was designed to sound good in any living room, basically, not just a soundproofed, uh, dedicated room for listening. Um, so we, we had some speaker experience because we, we worked with the Carlson Foundation and made the OD11 into an active Wi-Fi speaker, uh, the first to connect with Spotify Connect, actually. Um, and we, were, we do sometimes do uh, external design projects or design assignments. So we were approached by Baidu, the Chinese version of Google, basically, to make a, a smart speaker for them. And we did two, actually. So we did the R, it's a robot arm, and we did the H, which is a more traditional looking speaker. Um, and it's for the Chinese market only so far, but hopefully we can bring it to the rest of the world also. Yeah. It's not our product, it's just we did the design for them. Right. You know, the, the whole smart speaker thing is an interesting one. Apple, of course, has their HomePod, and they're trying to address the same challenges that, that you were talking about. How do you make a speaker that sounds good in any living environment? Right. And uh, it, it seems to be one of those kinds of quests that we go on that we never feel is really quite solved, right? It's, it's right. one of these things that we keep pursuing. Yeah, I, I didn't have the Carlson reference when I was younger, my parents didn't have those speakers. So when I first saw that, I was like, okay, it looks good, but how good can it sound? Uh, and then when I first heard them, I was really blown away. Uh, I was, the bass is really um, present and the, the high troubles is sparkly and bright. So it's, they sound great in, in my living room and I love them. Uh, that's a, uh, not a smart speaker in that sense. So, but um, I don't I don't have the new speakers yet, so I haven't heard them personally. But hopefully, I can have them soon and have a critical listen. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Tobias. I really appreciate you joining us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you again for joining me for this episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. You can go ahead and let me know what you thought about it at VMarks on Twitter or send an email to news at appleinsider.com. And we'll see you back next week with more of a regular episode about what's going on in Apple's world. Thank you so much.